Hello, you awesome, gorgeous specimen of a fine human. How are you doing today? I appreciate you checking back and checking out my humble podcast. We've got a good one for you guys today. This week, it's all about the music industry, baby, but we're not talking about all the bad stuff. We've done a few episodes on that now, and we all know what the bad sides of the music industry are. This time, we're talking to a guy who's been in the business over 40 years, who knows the game. He knows how to sail the uh, the, the storm, and uh, he's going to share with us the inside knowledge and the pearls of wisdom that have, that have led him to be continually successful from 1982 right into 2022 and still going strong. And what's more, he's not an artist with an axe to grind <laughs> or a grudge to bear. He's actually on the big, bad label side of it. He's a CEO of a major record company. We've done a lot of moaning on this podcast, and rightfully so, about the music industry. So it's going to be really interesting to, uh, to get their scoop on what they see from their side of the table about the machinery of the record business and to get their, their advice as well on uh, what the rest of us can do to, to sail these waters. So don't tell me I'm not good to you guys. And in exchange for being so goddamn good to you, I want to ask you a favor. I want to ask all of you to go to my Spotify page or my Apple Music page or Amazon Music, whatever, which, whichever big, bad, horribly exploitative big tech company you listen to my music on, if you listen to it at all, please go there and follow my page. So, um, for example, on Spotify, it would be James Kennedy. Remember, I'm not the blonde DJ douche from the reality TV show. I'm the scowly looking, pissed off, black haired British guy, okay, with the heavy music. <laughs> so go and follow that page. Give me a listen. And um, hopefully, when this some new releases coming up you'll be the first to know all that shit really is so easy for people to do but it really does help the algorithm which we're all you know slaves to unfortunately these days as content creators so if you could just take a goddamn few seconds to hunt down james kennedy on your music streaming platform of choice give me a follow give me a subscribe whatever you gotta do it would really help me out thank you so much it's a shame we have to live like this but hey what are you gonna do you gotta go where the people are man and hey if there's anybody who's like 90 and wants to actually buy my CD. All of that is available on Bandcamp as well. James Kennedy, not the DJ blonde douche from America. The scowly looking pissed off guy with the rock band. That's me. But look, you guys didn't come here to be sold some more shit. Okay, that's you came here to get away from all that shit. So let's get down to the good stuff. Joining us today. Let's do it. Brian Slagle is the founder and CEO of the iconic Metal Blade Records, the label responsible for introducing the world to more legendary metal bands than we've got time to list, including Slayer and Metallica. The current roster includes Behemoth, Killswitch Engage, Cannibal Corpse, Guar, Whitechapel, and literally pages more. An influential and important figure in the history of metal and a man who's been in the industry for 40 years. Brian Slagle, thank you so much for taking time out to speak with us today. How are you doing, sir? Good, man. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, you are welcome anytime, brother. Thank you for joining us. Um, before we kick off then, I know this is probably going to be like a really massive ask, but um, for the three people who don't know who Brian Slagle is and Metal Blade Records are, could you give us like the brief kind of one minute bio on the story so far? Brief. Yeah, that's always easy for 40 years, right? <laughs> uh, so yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. Yeah, basically uh, I was a, a young, dumb kid in uh, 1981 and was uh, completely obsessed with uh, a scene called the New Wave of British Heavy Metal that was mm. happening over in England, uh, which, of course, consisted of Iron Maiden, Def Leppard, and many, many other acts. Uh, completely got obsessed with it, you know, living in, I grew up in Los Angeles, California. So living in Los Angeles and, you know, this is obviously eons before the internet or anything else. It was very difficult to get information, but somehow I was able to, uh, to do that. I was really heavily into the scene. Then 
my dream job became available. I started working at a record store, which I, I grew up listening to music. I grew up going to record stores since I was like 11 and always the dream job. So I worked at this really cool independent record record store, started importing all the European heavy metal stuff. And that was kind of my, I started the first ever US heavy metal fanzine called the New Heavy Metal Review, yep. R-E-V-U-E. I don't know why we did that, but uh, anyway, so I was working at the record store and uh, one of my friends who used to come in a lot and buy stuff said, you know, there's heavy metal bands here in Los Angeles. And I said, there are? At that point, I had no idea. So he said, yeah. So the first show I went to was Rat and Motley Crue at a venue called the Troubadour yeah. in Hollywood on a Wednesday night for a dollar. Wow. And then I realized, like, wow, there are heavy metal bands in L.A. So I started realizing there's a whole scene. And again, you know, this is, you know, 1981. And, you know, there's the major labels don't care. There's no Internet. There's no way of anybody knowing that these bands would exist. So I got the idea kind of based on the new wave of British heavy metal and the kind of do-it-yourself attitude that was happening in England to put together a compilation album of LA heavy metal bands, which I did. Uh, ended up selling a few. Um, you know, Rat was on there for one. Uh, and also this band called Metallica was on there as well because I had become friends with Lars and he said, if I put together a band, can I be a record? And I said, sure. And that ended up being Metallica. And then things kind of just slowly snowball from there where I got a distribution deal because they had no money to do anything, which is why we never put out a Metallica record. Right. Um, and, you know, but this distributor said, you know, we'll give you a, a deal where, you know, if you bring us stuff, we can manufacture it and sell it. So I started doing that. And then just slowly over the years, the label has grown into this and it's 40 years later and I'm still talking about it. That is amazing, man. I mean, what a thing to have, have started and to see grow into this amazing global success story. I mean, has the um, trajectory been very diagonal, you know, or have there been, you know, significant dips and hardships that we haven't seen? Well, you know, so so metal in the 90s was, was a bit difficult because yes. obviously you know, grunge came in and kind of wiped it out, which quite honestly it needed to do. Like metal was big and bloated and not my kind of metal that was happening in like the late 80s, early 90s. So grunge came in, which we actually ended up doing a lot of work with all those bands. We were with Alice in Chains and Mother Love Bone and Nirvana and, and uh, Soundgarden and all those bands. But so the mid 90s were a, a little tough. It was honestly for us it wasn't terrible because the underground bands were still i mean we had at the time we had you know six feet under and cannibal corpse and guar yeah. and fade and king diamond who were all selling a lot of records as independents but the mainstream it was no mainstream stuff at all a lot of people wrote off heavy metal be dead i remember and i think it was 1997 rock hard which is the big european uh, german heavy metal fanzine or magazine sorry they had the cover was uh, a, a gravestone that said r.i.p heavy metal born 1969 died 1997 so a lot <laughs> of people thought that was it and then you know <laughs> new metal came in which we didn't really get involved with at all and i, I just knew that we would survive it because we survived other things and right. we did and then the early 2000s came and it blew up again well, that survival aspect of the genre, I think is really interesting because I think it feels to me like metal is, is almost immortal by this point because like you say, it survived grunge, it survived other things. It's always, it's always been there. Have you, have you got any thoughts as to why that might be? Do you think it's ever going to die? I don't think it is personally, but why do, why do you think that is? You know, I, it just speaks to this music speaks to people and, you know, it spoke to me, you know, when I was a 17, 18 year old kid and, and so many others of us. I mean, that was the whole scene back in the early eighties was we never thought you know, any of these you know, we, bands would become big. Metallica would be like one of the biggest bands in the world. I mean, none of us thought that. We're just fans doing our thing. Uh, 
And luckily we found other people that were also into it. And, and over the years, through generations, you just see like the next generation of kids coming up. Like, you know, we're signing so many bands now, these kids that are, you know, anywhere from 19 to 22 and 23 that, that love the music, love the history of it. And, you know, they want to create their own thing. And, and as long as that keeps happening, and I don't see that slowing down anytime in the near future, I think that, you know, this genre is going to continue. And, and also, I think most of the people that work within our industry, whether it's, you know, obviously musicians, but obviously the record labels and the booking agents and the managers, everybody is a fan. We're yep. all fans. It's not like there's, you know, I don't deal with anybody on my level that's not a heavy metal fan at all like everybody like i said everybody from this whole community and that really helps because we're we're all we're all on the same page there's nobody i'm not ever talking to somebody that doesn't know what they're talking about right. in terms to whether it's the biggest managers or the biggest agents or the biggest labels yeah it's there's just something really real and primal and raw about it you know what i mean if it speaks to you then it really really speaks to you you know like listening to fucking metal music loud it's just it's like therapy it's like catharsis or something it's transcendental it's just um yeah it's primal and it's just it's very difficult to describe but i think for the people that it speaks to uh, they're in for life you know what i mean and, and i think that's another reason why it's, it's never going to go because it's just it's real you know a hundred percent and it's you know and it's i mean look it's it's an angry form of music and i think yep. as long as there are you know, gonna be angry you know there's gonna be a lot of angst growing up there's gonna be a lot of angst in the world so you know those sort of things i guess kind of help the genre a little bit but uh <laughs> yeah it's just one of those things where it's going so strong now i i don't see it slowing down anytime at least in my lifetime hopefully Amen, amen, man. And so, uh, do you? I'm, I'm guessing you don't just exclusively listen to metal in, in your in your personal downtime. I mean, what else do you listen to? What other genres? Honestly, I don't listen to a lot of other stuff. Uh, <laughs> I, I try to open myself up a bit, a bit here and there to, to different things because I I want to experience it. Probably my, my all time favorite non metal band, even though they're they're kind of a little bit you you may or may not know of them because they're a british band they're called the manic street preachers <laughs> no way uh, they're from around here man i absolutely love them i've been a fan of theirs wow. since day one so they're kind of my and they're still a rock band so it's not like you know i'm going so far out of my comfort zone but that being said in the last um in the last few months I actually went to so, a bit of a long story. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll bump, bump it up, but there's an artist, there's a country artist in the U S called Morgan Wallen, who nobody outside of the country industry knows who he is. He sold more records in North America last year than any other artist. Wow. That Adele and anybody like by a mile. Jesus. Um, so, so real quick, my, so my girlfriend, who's not a country fan, wanted to go see him somewhere. So I'm like, all right. So I did the little deep dive. Turns out all the guys in his band are, are metal guys, and they have a side project metal band. So I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. So I bought tickets to go see him in Shreveport, Louisiana, of all places. One of my buddies who manages Killswitch Engage, I tell him the story. He goes, the guy who's tour managing him is a really good friend of mine. He's an old school hardcore metal guy. Totally know who you were. So anyway, we got hooked up and and hung out with those guys. And I've seen I've seen Morgan Wallen a few times. And while it's like I wouldn't go listen to his music over and over again. The show's great. It's fire and all sorts of stuff. And the the band guys do like a little metal uh, uh, um, little jam session. We saw off stage. And the last show he did played a state the first stadium show he played. They did a medley of Lincoln Park, Def Leppard, 
and Bon Jovi. And he played Pour Some Sugar on Me by Def Leppard, which I hate. <laughs> I always hated that song. Yep, so. But their version was awesome. So I really kind of liked it. And then another kind of thing, and again, I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily listen to his music a lot, but um, I know he's a big metalhead and he's friends with a lot of friends as Post Malone. So I went to see him uh, a few weeks ago and I'm friends with the guys from Power Trip and they were there. And I guess they're good friends with him and his photographer. So anyway, Post went up and did the whole show in a Power Trip shirt. <laughs> yeah, wow, that's fucking awesome. Yeah, but you see, that's the thing, man. Everybody, everybody's got their 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 guilty metal pleasure, even in a country band, you know. Yeah. So yeah, that, exactly. That's all. I, I will go venture out a little bit, but it's usually it, when there's metal involved. <laughs> that's so interesting that you mentioned the Manic Street Preachers, because obviously, you know here in Wales they're like our national treasure and I'm talking to you now from about half an hour away from their hometown of Blackwood I've, I've met those guys several times you know they're they're a massive massive band over here and uh, you know, my partner funny enough has actually sung on a few of their records and has guest vocals with them you know on live shows and TV shows and things like that so uh, you know, we, we, we know those guys very well over here um, have you ever seen them live? Oh gosh, yes. When they when they first came over to uh, the U.S. back with the, there was a minute when you know around golding gold for your soul and and uh, the Holy Bible where they're trying oh. to kind of make them a big thing over here. So they did a few U.S. tours. So I saw them. I don't know four or five times. I actually got to meet them. Super nice guys. Uh, a couple of them were big hockey fans, which because you know Cardiff has a, a hockey team and has for a long time. So I'm a big yeah. hockey fan. So we got to. Uh, we got to, to bond over that a little bit, but yeah, I've seen them. I think the last time I saw them in LA, in fact, they just played there and I missed it, but they played in LA and that was when they did the whole, the entire Holy Bible, which is my favorite record of theirs and probably in my top 30 records of all time. Same. It's one of the most Same. brilliant albums ever. So, so yeah, I've seen them quite a few times. Never seen them in, in, in uh, England though, which I would love to do. Oh, dude, they play stadiums over here, man. You know, it's, know, uh, if you get a chance to come and see the Mannix uh, on their home turf, then definitely do it. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you, and staying off metal then, just for a second, and looping back to something you mentioned earlier, grunge. What did you think about grunge at the time? I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I thought it was amazing. And so my first kind of foray into that a little bit, I mean, obviously, you know, I, I heard Nirvana and, and all that stuff, but a really good friend of mine uh, who worked at Columbia Records signed Allison Chains. And this is pretty early on. He sent me the demo tape that he got and said, Hey, I just signed this band. What do you think? And I said, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. So, you know, I, I loved it. And I was, a, I, I went up and uh, there was a, a band called Mother Love Bone that yeah. was, early on and i went up to see them in seattle because we were we had a partnership with capital records at the time and and the a and r person wanted me to go up and see them so i went up and saw them uh and i i was blown away i don't know if i've ever seen a singer that incredible in a, about a you know 50 seat bar or whatever it was i mean he was just unbelievable and that i thought that band this band's gonna be the biggest thing ever they were gonna be amazing and then of course he uh, passed away due to an overdose. And of course, the two guys, Stone and Goss from uh, from Mother Love Bone, went on to form some band called Pearl Jam. They, oh, I've they, heard of those they, guys, yeah. They're kind of okay. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I was, I was into it. I mean, I love the Pumpkins. I love Soundgarden. All of those bands, to me, were just an, an, another version of metal. And they're all huge metalheads. Yeah. I, I remember I was uh, one of my favorite Alice in Chains stories. Uh, so the uh, Clash of the Titans tour, which was Slayer, Megadeth, Anthrax, 
were doing a, this big tour, but they had Alice in Chains open, kind of before anybody knew who Alice in Chains were, really. And they're playing in Toronto, and Fate's Warning, one of our bands, was recording their record in Toronto. So I took those guys to the show. So afterwards, we go backstage, and we're talking to the, the guys, and, and Lane comes up to me, and Lane was like wow. one of the sweetest people ever, by the way. Came up to me and whispered, he's like, do you think it's okay if I get an autograph at Fate's Warning? Like my, my buddy and I back, back home are huge fans. <laughs> <laughs> wow but yeah they were all all those bands were, were influenced by metal but they couldn't say it at the time I mean, dave Grohl, who i've since met since then i mean i i was told that his when uh, one of my friends was out on the very first foo fighters tour and he, he sent us an email and said dude i'm out with Grohl on this foo fighters tour every cd in his cd case is all metal playing i was like oh wow cool. <laughs> so they're all they were all metalheads and it was just like i said it was just another version of metal to me and i i, I loved it i thought it was fresh and new and different and I thought all that stuff was great. I loved all. That's interesting, man, that you, that you would see it that way as somebody on the metal side of the industry, you know, at that time, because I know that, you know, grunge scared the shit out of pretty much every other genre at that time, I mean, no, none more so than metal. But uh, it, as you mentioned earlier, I think it was it was a good thing because, you know, metal was becoming a kind of cliche of itself in many ways at that point. It was becoming quite generic and lazy in many ways. Um, so I think grunge certainly raised the bar for everything else, whereby, you know, everyone had to start up in their game again. Well, yeah, what happened was the major labels got involved and they just kind of made everything pop and, you know, they had that terrible look with the, you know, whole hair metal thing. And it just, that wasn't my version of metal, what I liked about metal. So I, I even thought it was awful and it, it, it needed to, it needed to be reset. And that's what happened. You know, we went through the nineties where, you know, it had to get reset and it reset itself. And, you know, here we are. Yeah, stronger than ever again, man. It's back. I mean, one thing that really interests me that I'd, I'd love to ask you, but we've had several music industry sort of specials on the podcast so far. But I mean, you've been in the game now for 40 years, right? And, and you, and you're still here now, top of the game. So what is your opinion on the, the monumental shift that's happened within the music industry now. Obviously, I'm of a generation that when I sort of came on the scene, I was pretty much just one toe left in the old model. You know, for me, it was very much MySpace. You know, you still made CDs and things like that. But then within a space of a few years, it was social media and, you know, Apple and, you know, streaming and all that sort of stuff. So I didn't spend too much time in the old model, but you've seen, you've spent about 20 years in both now. So what's, what's your opinion on, on the change? Is it better? Is it just different? What's your thoughts? Well, you know, it's the one thing I've learned over all these years is you, you have to be adapted to change. Uh, and, and I learned that very early on because in the 80s, you know, I grew up in the 70s and I was a vinyl fanatic. I, I have tons of vinyl. I kept on my vinyl. You know, I was... The idiot at the record company we were saying like hey uh you might want to stop pressing vinyl because cd's the new thing mm. now nobody's gonna want vinyl anymore i go no vinyl's never gonna die and sure enough uh at literally at one point all the stores not only in the u.s but in europe just decided like okay that's it we're done with vinyl they shipped all of it back and uh that almost bankrupted the company because uh, all of a sudden i, I owed our distributor like $250,000. I didn't have that money to pay them. So we somehow survived, but I learned, okay, I'm not going to be resistant to change any, any more. Right. And we're going to get out in front of it next time. 
And, you know, kind of where this all came from was really the whole file sharing thing. And, you know, everybody was going on and on about that and how horrible it was. And look, it, it, it wasn't great. And, it, you know, but I, I get it. I get it. I understand it from a, from a fan. I'm still a fan, first and foremost. So I understand from a fan's point of view. Like, I don't want to go spend $20 to buy a record and have to be one good song on it. This is ridiculous. So I kind of got the, the vibe, but it, it just became too much, obviously. Um, but what that did was it forced the music industry to go, okay, uh, we need to have a different business model here because clearly what we were doing isn't working and now we're being decimated by this, this file sharing thing. Yeah. And that really led into the whole streaming thing. So look, as a, as a business model, it, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to explain, but I'll give you, I'll give you the rough thing. So a lot of people complain about streaming. A lot of artists complain about streaming. They're not making any money. And the reason that is, is because most of them are signed to major labels. And I don't want to disparage all the major labels because not all of them are bad and not all of them do this. But, you know, all of these bands are, are under agreements that they sign, you know, especially the older bands that have been around for a long time. But they're getting, you know, normal royalty rates like 15% or something. That, but this is when, you know, you're manufacturing product and all this sort of stuff. It's changed a lot now where, you know, a band shouldn't be getting paid 15% on streaming. They should be getting paid much more. Yeah. And the independent artists like us do. And I mean, we write, you know, we write six figure checks to our bands all the time now because this streaming thing is huge. And just from a, a fan's perspective, so when I grew up, right, all right, I would, uh, I'd have $20 to buy maybe two records. Yeah. And that's it. So now for $10 a month, I can listen to anything I want to anytime I want to anywhere I want to. So, I mean, that, that freedom is really, made a huge impact for the music business because bands that would normally be smaller because people couldn't listen to them or they didn't have access to them. I mean, everybody's got access to music for free, whether it's YouTube or, you know, free streaming sites or whatever it is. So that sort of thing has, has done two things. Number one, it's got a whole bunch of smaller bands that never would be as big as they are to, to have the access to, to people listening to them. And number two, it forced bands to make quality albums because before that people were like well you know i don't really have to make a really great record i can just do two good songs the rest of it nobody's going to care about but once you could hear everything before paying for it uh you had you had to make good stuff and i think that really stepped up the game of you know not only just metal genres but a lot, lot of other genres so so in a way i think kind of where we're at with all of this is if it's done right and if the labels are doing things the right way and paying the artists as they should be, then it's a great thing. That's really interesting that you say that. So, so would you put your hat in the ring then and say that you actually think it's better now? Well, better is the whole thing. I mean, I think, look, as, as a fan, from a fan's point of view, absolutely, I think it's better because, you know, you can, you know, like I said, you can listen to anything you want to pretty much any time you want to without having to spend a lot of money. And, you know, the good news is then you can go out and buy the vinyl versions and the CD versions, which thankfully in our world, people do that. Um, but yeah, I think it's better. And I think for the long term, it's getting better for the bands too. look, it's not what it was in the 70s and 80s. It probably never will be in terms of, of music royalties but compared to the way it was in the in the 90s and the early 2000s this is this is way better i mean you know it, it, for a long time bands made all of their money 
on touring and merchandise, like 90% of them. Yeah. And then music was maybe 10%. Well, now that's probably bumped up to, again, depending upon the deal, depending on how bands, how well bands stream, you know, you could be up for anywhere from 25 to 35% of a band's overall income, which makes, you know, all of us feel a lot better. And it's just another, another income source that helps these artists uh, make it. And in all honesty, helped a lot of these artists survive the pandemic. Great point. Yeah, 100%. I totally agree with you. I mean, I've been an evangelist for the new model for a long time, quite openly. Because of my experience as an artist, you know, I got shafted by so many labels back in the day that when I decided to just commit to being independent, you know, and embrace technology and social media and all that sort of stuff, I found it very empowering. I could just make the record I want to make, put it out, any money that was made, 100% of it came to me or the band, you know, and... um it was just a lot more freeing and I just felt a lot more validated and rewarded rather than just feeling like I was being screwed all the time. But the flip side to that is when you're on a level playing field with everybody else on planet Earth who's also doing the same thing, how do you get heard above the noise? Well, yeah, and that's, you know, a lot of people can say, well, you know, labels are going to be gone because, you know, artists can just, just do all this themselves. Well, while that's true, artists can do it themselves. You don't have the infrastructure of, you know, the label, you know, our size, we've got like 35 employees, but then we've got distributors and other people we work with. You've got only an army of 150 different people that are out there that are, that are promoting you and your band. So you can't do that on your own. You have to hire them or do, you know, even like big bands that have tried to do it on their own, they really can't. But you just, but you do have to align yourself with the right label because I'm the first to admit there are a lot of labels that rip off bands all the time. Yeah. I hear stories over and over again. That's the one thing that really bums me out about about the, the industry. And it's not, not just the metal industry, just in general. I think it's better. I mean, you talk... I, so I, I'm I'm into reading autobiographies now. I I, I wrote a, a book five years ago, the history of heavy metal, yeah. uh, history of metal blade records. Sorry, uh, and you know I wanted to to read some more autobiographies. So I kind of now I'm an obsessed with it. And man, any no matter who what artist it is, you read them if they came up in the '70s and '80s, they all got ripped off by either managers or labels or whatever. It just it is always such a bummer to read that sort of stuff. But, but that being said, you know, if you can align yourself with the right people and there are a lot of good people out there, you, you can do well. Well, that's encouraging to hear. And I'm, it's good to know that there are some good guys out there. <laughs> Oftentimes it doesn't feel like there are, but do you think that it's possible for a band or an artist to survive and have a successful career without a label? Or do you think ultimately once you get to a certain point that it's impossible to, to continue to function effectively without a label? Yeah, I, I think so. I, we haven't seen any artist yet that's really been able to kind of establish something and become a massive artist all, all on their own. Eventually, there has to be people there. You know, I, I think it's interesting, you know, the whole TikTok world is kind of interesting now where you're seeing, you know, a lot of people who are not on labels but have these crazy, you know, 35 million TikTok followers and all this sort of stuff. I don't know that that can transition to like a regular music career, but yeah. Somebody may end up doing it. It's, it's an interesting platform and it's an interesting way of, of getting to people. And clearly there are people that know how to do it that, you know, I'm kind of blown away by like, wow, that, that, that guy's, you know, that band or guy or whatever has all these followers. So I, I think it's possible, but still the, the kind of, you know, look, I, you know, I don't want to sound old school and old funny daddy, but that's still business model of you know the record label and the you know it's got to be the record label the management the agent you know all everybody all working yeah. together to really get an artist to to that next level you know you've seen with some of the pop artists they, they can start on their own but eventually they got to go somewhere 
Yeah, from my own experience, it was kind of like, I, I went from the feeling of, wow, this is fucking awesome. I can just make the record I want now. I can put it out. I can play everything, produce it myself. It doesn't cost a penny. I can distribute it, you know, digitally and use Bandcamp or whatever and social media to promote myself. This is fucking awesome. But the first place that it then falls down is touring because touring is so fucking expensive that most bands on the sort of money that they're realistically going to be making from streaming and things like that can't afford to put on a, a nationwide tour. You just can't do it. It's too expensive. And there were other things, you know, like promotion and marketing and stuff. But I think touring, I mean, that obviously any musical artist wants to be out there touring. That's what they should be doing, right? That's what we live. That's, that's why we do this. You know, unless you just want to exist on the internet or something. But I mean, you know, most of us want to be out there playing. And that, that I think, is the first real big hurdle that most independent artists come up against when they're trying to do this without a label. Yeah, 100%. 100%. We see that now. I think the great thing about, you know, being able to to make records, you know, on your own and make them for free and, and get them out there is that, that starts the ball rolling. Because, you know, we I don't think we sign any, I don't want to say any, but rarely do we sign a band these days that just is coming they've not put anything out. They've not done anything before. Like usually these bands put out, you know, an EP or something on their own or they've gained some traction and there's stuff going on. And then, you know, we kind of pick it up from there, you know, any other label can kind of pick it up from there and, and get it to next that next level. That's a great way to really help artists to, to start on their own, but, but start with their vision too. So that they, you know, because sometimes labels and management can, can mess up your vision, yeah. uh, which it should not ever, by the way, don't, by the way, all the bands out there, don't ever listen to anybody. Make whatever music you guys want to make. Don't listen to anybody. Don't listen to, to spouses or friends or labels or managers. Don't listen to anybody, period. Never. <laughs> That's great advice. But, but definitely do listen to Brian. <laughs> well, you, you can listen to what I'm telling you about his other stuff. But don't, if I, I'm not going to tell you what you should and should not be doing musically. That's for sure. Well, well, amen to that, man, because yeah, that's, that's few and far between these days. There's a lot of noise out there these days, man. Uh, I was going to ask you, like, yeah. with regards to touring, how, how have you seen that side of the industry change? Because, I mean, certainly at the sort of level that I operate at over here with my band, at the club level, obviously small clubs are closing down left, right and center. They're not keeping the doors open for various reasons. What's your experience of that within, within the metal world? Yeah, well, you know, the pandemic was scary, obviously, because like you just mentioned, a lot of smaller clubs could didn't survive. But it seems like other people are kind of coming up and 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 uh, filling in the gaps a little bit now. But it, 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 touring is really weird. So when you know when I first started out, and you know even going back to I don't know twenty some odd years ago, like artists to get out on the road because, like you said, it's not easy. It's not easy. You're, especially your first tours, you're not going to be making any money. You're going to have to to, you know, quote unquote, pay your dues. And, you know, back in our days, I mean, bands would just, I mean, Slayer's first tour they did in a, in a, in a station wagon. It just slept on people's floors. Yeah. I mean, they did whatever they could. They didn't care because they, they love the music and they're out there to, you know, promote their own music. And I've seen that that doesn't exist a lot anymore where a lot of bands now, younger bands come in and go, well, we need a, you know, we don't want to do a tour in a van. We want to be in a bus and all mm. those things. Like, well, that's not going to work. <laughs> you kind of got to go out and, and pay your dues a little, a little bit more. That being said, there are still other bands that are out there kind of doing what they need to do to, to make it happen. And that's super important uh, to, to, begin with because you know it's going to take a while for you to have anything especially on a touring front out there but then again that's you know and this is also you know it, it's i feel bad saying this but you know again having the label the management people around you gets you on those good tours 
uh, and gets you a little bit more money than you would normally have gotten because you've got people surrounding them who, especially the agents and, and the venues trust you a little bit because they know, okay, well, right. they're with these people. So, okay, they, they might be good. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. And what do you think then about the power of luck? How important is the power of luck in a band's success? Because, you know, it doesn't mean that they're not good. It doesn't mean that they haven't worked their ass off, but the music industry is not a meritocracy. Most things aren't. Uh, so how important in your experience of what you've seen of bands over the years has the power of luck been in their success or lack of? Absolutely, it's important. I, I, there's so many bands out there, so many artists, and there's so many people vying for something that, yeah, luck absolutely plays a big role in it. I think that being said, you still, what's the old saying? You got to be lucky to be good. You got to be good to be lucky, right? Right. So you do have to be good. You do have to be smart. You do have to have to you know know what you're doing. But yeah, I mean, just you know, sometimes luck plays a huge thing. I mean, I, there's countless bands that we all could say that. And luck could mean a lot of different things. Luck could mean, you know, being in the right place at the right time to to have the right, you know, manager or agent or, you know, whatever that, that may be. Because we all know there's tons of bands that we love that we go, why did that band never make it yeah. big? It, yeah. They were so great. There's always, a, you know, there's always a story, it's, you know, involved with the wrong people or, you know, somebody, you know, the main, the singers, you know, girlfriends or parents said, no, you got to go to school or whatever it is. And, you know, people just don't take the chance. So, you know, there's all that sort of stuff. And yeah, luck, luck can just be, luck can play a major role in all this sort of stuff. Cause there's a million great artists and not all of them are going to make it. Yeah, I agree. And I'm glad to hear you say that, man, because that's just not been my experience as someone that's been around musicians and very talented, creative people now for, you know, several decades. And, you know, the, you hear all these things all the time from, you know, music seminars and books and, you know, industry advice and stuff like that, that, you know, if you're just professional, you work hard and you pay your dues and you, you know, you're nice to everybody and all that sort of stuff that, you know, you, success will be forthcoming. But it's just not true, I don't think, because I know so many people who, are so talented they write such great music and they bust their ass they do everything that you're supposed to do they make all the sacrifices year after year after year and they just for some reason or another just cannot catch a break you know yeah and it's you know that's all over all the genres like I, I live in las vegas and i see all these incredibly talented people that you know work at lounges and shows and stuff that are unbelievably talented but they never got the big break because they just they weren't right place wrong time or you know they were from omaha and nothing ever happened in omaha <laughs> you know there's there's a lot of stuff like that for sure and so then do you see in the in the successful bands any commonalities? I mean, do you see any any characteristics that the, the bands that stick, the ones that stick around, not not the ones who manage to catch a lucky break, but then you know they they they're gone this time next year, you know, the one hit wonders or whatever. Um what what do you see as the common traits in those bands, whether you've worked with them directly or, or not? Those those bands that that stick, what traits do they share? They're smart. Right. They're smart. And they understand the business and what I tell every band is, is it's just got to be one guy. It doesn't have to be a whole band. You know, you guys don't all have to learn about the music industry, but one guy, at least one guy in the band has to do the business. Right. has to understand the business and has to do it. And that's no matter what successful band that is or on, on any level, you've got that one guy, whether it's Lars and Metallica or, you know, Steve Harris and Iron Maiden or, you know, you go on and on and on, but there's always one guy that understands the business that knows what they're doing 
and they work with all the team around them to make it. And it's the same thing with all of our bands. Like every band's got at least one guy that understands the, the, the business part of it. He controls the business part. And that's, that's the one thing I can say for every single popular band I've ever dealt with. There's always at least one person, if not more, but at least one. Because you, you've got to be smart. It's a difficult business. Everybody's going to try to rip you off. If you, don't, if you don't know what you're talking about, what you're doing, and, and fight for your band, then, yeah, you, you can let the pitfalls happen easily. That's great advice. Yeah, I didn't see that one coming, man. Yeah, but that, that makes a lot of sense, actually. I mean, as you were speaking then, I could think of countless examples of my own, you know, like the Rolling Stones or Queen, you know, they've all got that one guy in the band that is the business guy, you know, so that, yeah. that makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. So what do you have any thoughts on, I mean, uh, you mentioned earlier that, you know, one of the main things that uh, you have to have in this business on your side of the table is to be easily adaptable to change because there's going to be a lot of it. Have you got any theories as to what the future of the music industry might look like, say, in 10 years time? I know that's probably impossible these days because everything changes so fast because it's now based so, so, so much on technology. But have you got any feeling seeing, seeing the patterns as you have over the the past four years as to where things might be headed do you think streaming is here to stay or do you think something else is around the corner well you know you never know right um you know i'm not going to tell you right now that i think in 10 years that that streaming is going to still be as strong as it is now because some other platform could could come into play you certainly see you know social media which which i'm a big fan of and and honestly has has uh, played a, a massive role in the success of, of our label and, and the other labels just because we have this amazing platform where we can reach out to our fans directly from, from us, you know, between our, you know, Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, and all these different pages, you know, there's like 3 million people that, you know, you can reach to, which is, you know, kind of mind boggling when you think about it for, you know, an independent label. But the, all that being said, you know, who knows? I mean, I think for the next few years, the model that we have now is going to continue to grow. Yeah. But we also, you don't know, you know, look at what's happening with Twitter now, you know, I mean, yeah. Twitter is, which I love Twitter. I've always been a big fan. I've, I've always had great experiences there. You know, now it's, a, I mean, for now it seems like it's surviving, but who knows? Um, so who knows what could happen? You know, if Spotify or Apple could, you know, do something crazy and, 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 you know, not become what they were before, but then again, somebody else could come in and do something too. But I, I do think you're going to see, you know, these, these um, things like TikTok and stuff where, you know, once you can properly monetize things, I guess, you know, Twitch is another good one where you can actually monetize things there. So once you can kind of monetize stuff there, I think that's going to be a bit of a game changer, especially for artists. Like we have some artists that, and not everybody can get into Twitch and not everybody's got that, that mentality to get in there. And it's, you know, it's gone beyond, I think, from even being just a gaming thing now. But, you know, we've got a couple artists that, you know, that do a bunch of really cool stuff on Twitch and they make a bunch of money every month just for, for themselves. So I think if, if, you know, artists can, can kind of get into those sort of things and create interesting things that can give them extra money, that's going to help. But I think from our point of view, from a label point of view, I think it, yeah, it's just the next few years is just going to be kind of where it is now. I, I hope that the physical product continues to, to, to exist because I love that stuff. And certainly vinyl's been, I mean, vinyl's bigger now than it's ever been. I don't see that slowing down anytime soon, but you just, you, you, you can't ever know. 
Yeah, it's impossible to predict. And also, you know, predictions have been proven to be wrong more than they're right anyway. So um, best we just wait and see. But one thing, you know, we can guarantee is safe. And I think that's the most important thing is music. You know, music is not going anywhere. The format will clearly change in ways that we can't even imagine yet. But people's love and need for music is not going anywhere. And I think that's the important thing. Yeah, and you see, you know, I, I go to so many shows and you just see so many young kids. I just saw Iron Maiden in, in New York a couple months ago. And, you know, think about it, like Iron Maiden, they're in their, you know, 60s and Nico 70. Yeah. Um, but the crowd is like, I'd say half the crowd is under 30. It's just amazing to see these generational things happen now. It's, it's the same. I, you know, I saw Monomarth two weeks ago, it's the same thing. Like that, the crowd is probably, you know, 20 to 40 is probably the, the main demographic there. And, you know, they've been around for a minute. So I, I like that because that means there's the next generation coming in that, that is enjoying the music. So that makes me feel good about the long haul. But yeah, the, the formats, who knows? Do you think social media plays a part in that? Because I've often been, I've, I've noticed that myself. I've got a concert and I'm expecting to see a certain demographic and I'm like, shit, man, it's full of teenagers. I didn't see that coming. How do they even know this band? Do you know what I mean? Do you think that is, you know, to do a TikTok and social media? Oh, 100%. I think social media drives so much stuff these days for for people that that, I mean, that's how we get our information out from right. as, as a record label. And, you know, you get so many people that, you know, that use social media to learn, to learn something. That's what I do too. I mean, I've found fans on social media. Somebody just sent me some TikTok artists the other day. I'm not a huge fan of it, but the guys have got like 30, I don't know, 5 million followers, some crazy amount of followers. It's really interesting, but, but that's how it works. And, you know, you see, you know, some kid will see a band and they'll, they'll tag their friend, you know, or Snapchat or whatever it is. Um, but yeah, that's a hundred percent. It's all, it's all social media because how else would you know about these bands? Right. Yeah. 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 For sure. And do you think a band can survive without that these days? I mean, I, I know so many friends of mine, they might be insane musicians and, and amazing bands, but they're like, Oh, no, I'm not very good with us. I don't want to be on camera. I don't want to be, I don't want to be like dancing on TikTok and doing some shit like that. You know, I mean, so they, so they just don't bother. But if you're not on the phone, everyone's staring at their phone. People are looking at their phone when they're driving these days. If you're not on there, then you essentially you don't exist. I mean, do you think it's possible for a band? to exist and survive or, or, or even climb the ladder of starting out from scratch without social media or do you think it's absolutely essential i would never say never but it would be extremely difficult because you're just losing an outlet look you don't have to do a dumb dance on tiktok but you do have to be part of you know facebook and instagram and twitter and all these accounts you know if you don't as a band have all those pages going then yeah, nobody's going to know who you are. Like how in this day and age, how would somebody find out about a band if it's, if you're not on social media anyway, it's just, I mean, that's, it's just impossible. There's no other way unless, you know, you became the, the band was on a reality show or something Yeah, <laughs> no, out of nowhere. But yeah, I mean, un unfortunately that's, that's the game you got to play now, but I, I think it's great because this way with social media, you learn about things and you find out about bands and I, there's so many like people I never would have met or, True. I mean, you know, you and I might not be talking now, but with exactly. social media, right? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Uh, do, do you think there's any space left embracing social media as well simultaneously? But do you think there's, there's, there's still space left for the old punk rock model of hitting the streets and flyers and posters on lampposts and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, I, I think that that still is a component of, of what's happening. And I, and I encourage, like, people ask me, like, you know, what, what should bands do? You know, I'm a band in whatever city. It's like, 
and they all want to get a record deal quickly. I was just talking to a friend of mine the other day who's who's like, yeah, these guys have this this artist they want to get really big, and you know they they want me to ask you. I'm like, Ugh. so we'll tell them this. Like, you know, you're not gonna you're not gonna cold call or cold email a record label or something and have them sign. It's just not gonna happen. Right. So what you do is whatever city you're in. Make that city your town. Go out and play shows. Like you said, fly or pat. Make that city yours. Because Jack generally is what happens where all of a sudden, you know, because we've got people all over the world, right? So we send a band from Knoxville, Tennessee, this band of White Chapel. Knoxville, Tennessee is a little tiny town in the middle of nowhere, Tennessee. No one's ever come from there. Um, but you know, they became this big artist in Knoxville and one of the, the clubs there said, Hey, you know, you should check out this band. They've been playing here and they're doing really well. And we did. And it was like, Oh my gosh, this band's amazing. We ended up signing them. That, that's kind of the way you have to do it. So you, I don't know if you could become like a huge artist without again, playing the, the game that we have to play now uh, that we talked about, but certainly starting out, that's the number one way. If you're starting out, you got to just, take where you're at and be as big as you can in that market and get as much buzz and noise going as you can there. And I guess in many ways, it's the same as it always was, you know, back in the day, I suppose, uh, you know, that, that's yeah. all you had, you know what I mean? Yeah. For, for the artists that we deal with a hundred percent. So how does a bank get on a, on a, on a label's radar? What do you, what do you, what do you look for? I know that that's probably a stupid question that you've answered loads of times before. And, and every case is probably different. But I mean, you mentioned cold calling with emails and stuff like that. Yeah. We, we know that's redundant now. So what is a, what is a kick ass band that's paid their dues? It's out there. You know, they, they've got their hometown in their pocket, but Brian Slagle still has never heard of them. What, what does a band do to get on your radar? Well, usually if that's happening, it'll, it'll get on our radar. Like I said, we get enough people around the world that we deal with and, you know, all of our bands tour and, you know, that half the time you'll get one of our bands, they go into a city and, you know, they hear about a band that the club owner said, Hey, you guys should check these guys out. Right. Here's their demo or whatever. So it'll eventually, like if there's a really good band, it'll eventually get to, to somebody. That being said, the other the other advice that I, that I think is really, really important for bands, especially in our world, is don't sound like anybody else. Yeah. Because that's not what we're looking for. Like, I, I, we have White Chapel, we have Amon Mark, we have all these bands, but I don't want another band that sounds like them. I want to sign a band that sounds different. So, what I try to tell these guys is it's great to have your influences. It's great. You know, you, you can be a fan of all those bands, but don't sound like them. Take those influences, do something that first and foremost you as a band like again by don't listen to anybody else nonsense um but you know <laughs> something that you guys like but make it different make your own unique sound because that's what's going to get if if you're going to be a big band in in this genre really any genre if you if you're not doing something different and unique nobody people are more than likely not they'll care to a certain degree but it's like i'd rather listen to a on than a band that sounds like a yeah, definitely. And I think the, the need for that is so much more these days because you're not just competing with the five other bands in your hometown now. You know, you're essentially in competition with the rest of the world, you know, the gazillion other bands who are also, you know, online in, in, in the, you know, the collective social media space. So. I think the risk of sounding like another band is so much higher. And I think therefore the need to be, to carve out your own sound is so much more important so that you stand out above that noise. Correct. But, but there's a, there's a danger to that too, because if you're doing something so far out there, so different and you're not part of any scene, mm. that really hurts you too. Cause we've signed bands that I love that I thought this band's amazing and they're doing something, something completely different, but then they, they don't exist in a scene. So, 
you know, people don't really understand them or don't get them because they're they're not part of, you know, whatever genre or scene it, it is. So it, it, it's a tricky thing because you want to be different and unique, but you also still want to somehow be involved in whatever that scene is just so you get those because, you know, fans fans are not going to immediately go out and, and listen to something completely different. It's going to take them a while. And if you're part of a scene and you do have a unique sound, that's, that's a little bit better. 100%. And that's a really important point that I hope any bands listening to this are really going to see the, see the importance of that, of being part of a broader scene whilst having your own unique place within it. I think that that's the magical formula right there. And so which bands are you currently listening to then that are ticking those boxes? You know, whether you're working with them on Metal Blade or whether you, you know, you're just on the, they're on your radar. You know, what are you listening to that's getting your blood up? What's getting your juices flowing? You know, what should, what should we be checking out? Uh, there's a couple things. Um, not on the Metal Blade uh, agenda, but, and I don't know, so I was a huge fan, obviously, of the early Queensryche stuff. Like the first four records were, you know, some of the best metal records ever. And I'm friends with those guys and stuff. And, you know, they over the years, you know, whatever. And I just saw them. They opened for Judas Priest about a year or so ago in Vegas. And, and they were amazing. New singer Todd's, great guy, sounds amazing. And they were awesome. But, you know, they just played the hits. So the new record comes out. And, you know, they've had a couple of records out. I'm kind of like, eh, hey, whatever. So uh, one of my really good friends is this guy, Chris Santos, who um, is a big celebrity chef here in the U.S. He's on this TV show called Chop. He's got a bunch of restaurants. But he's a massive metalhead. And he, he usually gets, he, he usually gets to stuff before I do. So he texted me and said, Hey, have you heard this new Queens record? It's really good. I said, well, you know, I actually listened to the, the first song was on one of the, you know, music choice channels or something I listened to. I thought it was actually really good. So the record's really good. So I went out and bought the record. Oh my God, it's incredible. It's like, I don't know where 30 years went, but this new Queens record is phenomenal. So I'm completely obsessed with that at the moment which I love, love, love. Uh, another band that I'm really kind of obsessed with that's not on Metal Blade is uh, this uh, punk rock band called the Linda Lindas. Mm, okay. They're, uh, they're 11 to, I think, 18 now. The drummer's 11, the bass player's like 13, guitar players are, I think, 16 to 18. All-girl band, and they're incredible. They like they write amazing songs. They have great energy. They're really really cool. So they they put out their debut album came out on, on my friend's Epitaph label a while ago. So they're super cool. So but it's like old school like I don't know like early Go Go's meets like a punk rock. It's hard to describe, but they're super super fun and really good for these young kids to be that good musically and writing those sort of songs. It's kind of crazy. Um, so I love those two bands. Then metal wide wise, we signed this band and uh, this band called 200 Stab Wounds. And like, I, I'm super old, right? I don't get excited by much. You know, I see bands all the time. And I mean, I like a lot of bands, but I don't get like, oh my God, that's amazing. Like I did with the Linda Lindas, for example. Um, so anyway, they played at uh, this festival called Psycho Fest in Vegas over the summer. Oh my God, this band blew me away. Like I'm live so good like so good like this is i'm super super excited about them they have a new record coming out um and it's kind of like the only way to describe them is they're like part cannibal corpse part power trip i guess mm. really young kids and my my goodness they're doing something really unique and, and different that we're super excited about there's a nice buzz on them too which is really good but uh, uh i'm super excited for that thing 
That's awesome, man. Well, there's a couple of suggestions there for people to rush out and check out. And uh, just listening to you talk, man, I can tell that even after all these years in the biz, you know, you're still just as enthusiastic and just as excited and just as passionate about music, you know? And I wonder whether at its core, that's the key to your success and Metal Blade's success is that you're essentially still, you know, that kid with the fanzine. I'm still just a fan. You know, I think that's what works is I'm still a fan. I still love the music as much as I always have. I still get excited about new stuff like the new Metallica track came out. I thought, oh, my God, this is great. You know, I, I love it. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just a, I'm just a music fan. And I look I'm lucky to get to to work uh, in the same sort of genres I like to listen to. Yeah, what, what a life, man. What a life. And what, what's coming up at Metal Play? What can we look out for on the, on the label coming up soon? Oh, gosh, there's so much stuff. So we've got a brand new Cannibal Corpse record coming out sometime in the first part of next year, I think. Then we've got a whole bunch of other stuff coming up. So we should, and I, don't, I wish I could give you uh, like dates on these things, but there will be sometime in the next few months, two new Merciful Fate songs. They're going to be up on the socials and the streaming services. Then there should be a full King Diamond record sometime in 2023. Nice. And then a full Merciful Fate record in 2024. So we're super excited about that sort of stuff. And then uh, just, you know, go to the website. There's so, so much stuff going on. There's, you know, everybody's doing every all the bands are putting out records and because you know we're in this process now where you know we had two years where nobody could do anything so everybody's recording in that, those two years so now our problem is how do we put this stuff out but not you know kind of compete with everybody else right. and fall all over ourselves so it's a it's a very all of us labels now have a very unique thing about how we get all these records out and and do it properly right yeah so this is a good problem to have that we got all this good music in the pipeline yeah, and that's the one thing that I've noticed is that there's so many, so almost every new record by whatever band it is, like I just mentioned Queensryche, you know, the, the pandemic did one good thing. It's going to create a lot of really amazing art uh, for all of us to listen to, I think, because all these, these COVID albums that have come out have been all pretty amazing. Well, interestingly, that kind of takes us right back to the start of the conversation about what you said about metal. And as long as there's stuff to push against and rebel against and yeah. shout about, then there's always going to be metal. And God knows we've got a lot to shout about these days. There you go. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, Brian, look, man, it's been brilliant to chat with you. Thanks so much for taking time. I know you're a busy guy. I really appreciate you stopping by to chat with us today and to share all these uh, pearls of knowledge and wisdom with us. And also, you know, thank you for everything you've done for the scene for the past 40 years in, in, in giving us all this, you know, fucking awesome music to shove into our ears and our hearts. We appreciate you and long may you continue to reign, my friend. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Thanks for having me on. It's been a, it's been a blast. Oh, anytime at all. Thanks again, Brian. We'll catch you again soon, mate. Take care. I'm in. Take care. Brian Slagle, ladies and gentlemen, put it together for him. What a cool dude, man. And what a nice guy. You know, after everything that he's done and achieved, you know, to see that he's still such a grounded, normal, nice cool dude who is real passion and love really still is just the love of music you know that I like to see that because there's so many fucking dickheads in this business and they you know but I've got a theory and Brian once again is just another case in point that proves my theory correct that of all the fucking idiots I've met in this business and there are many <laughs> they're mostly the people down at the bottom who aren't really doing anything I mean don't get me wrong there's loads at the top as well but they're, they're mostly again guys who aren't really doing anything they're kind of guys whose job role who 
don't really know what they do but I shovel coke up their nose and, and write checks you know what I mean they're not actually doing that the heavy lifting and it's the same down the bottom as well you know you got the uh, you know the, the local fucking rock stars who you know because they play in their local hometown and they've got like one EP doing okay on Spotify or something they, they think they're fucking made you know and they strut around like fucking Axl Rose or something like that you know and it's like dude calm yourself down <laughs> You know what I mean? Get back to me like next year or the year after when it's all come crashing down again and you've been screwed sideways by absolutely everybody in the game. Then maybe you'll be a bit more of a, you know, a grounded human being. I think it takes someone like Brian. If you look at everything he's achieved, you know, he does, he's got nothing to prove at this point. He doesn't even need to keep going to work now. You know, he can hang up his hat and sit back and pat himself on the back. But, you know, he's a nice guy. You can have a straight conversation with him. He's a cool dude. He didn't think twice about answering any of my questions and sharing his insights that he's gleaned from 40 years of hard work. And I think that's the difference. So if you're a band starting out, be more like Brian. Don't be like people who I'm not going to name <laughs> from my hometown that think that they're uh, crafted out of gold by Jesus himself because they can play a few fucking chords on a guitar. <laughs> it's hilarious, man. Anyway, I don't know what set me off on that tangent, but... um Thanks again to Brian Slagle for stopping by and sharing his pearls of knowledge with us and giving us some recommendations for some cool bands to check out as well. Uh, I really hope you enjoyed listening to the podcast. As always, I am going to nag you because I do it every single time and I don't know if you listen, so I'm going to keep doing it until you do. Please subscribe to the podcast. It's literally a click of one button. It doesn't cost you anything and it's easy to do. You can do it. Please go and do it. Subscribe to the podcast on YouTube or Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, you know, wherever you get your podcasts. It will really help me out. If you want to click the star rating button as well, again, it's, this shit's easy to do, man. You just click a fucking button, for God's sake. Um, if you could leave me a star rating, that would also be really helpful as well to like help, you know, nudge me up the, uh, the listings and recommendations for the algorithm, the algorithm God that we all have to give blood to. And if you want to check out my music as well, that would be pretty awesome. Even if you think it's shit, you know, just help a brother out, dude. Come on. You know, if you enjoy the podcast, but you hate me or you hate my music, then, you know, I, I see that as a fair trade. You can give me a click. You can give me a like. <laughs> you can give me a thumbs up in exchange for the, uh, you know, for, for all this good free advertising, free shit that I give you. There are tons more bangers coming up. So watch this space and I'll be back next week with another episode with another awesome guest. In the meantime, have an awesome week. I love you loads. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. And I will catch you next time. Take it easy.